weird, obscure, impossibly unsafe. Hello! Hello! And welcome. Hello. This is Anna Marie. I'm Jacob. And I'm Melissa. Um. Welcome to the show today. Welcome to the show. <laughs> We're already almost at Thanksgiving. Man. This year's almost over. Jeez, how'd that happen? I don't know. I mean, thank God, but <laughs> it. I was just thinking about this. First, though. I know. Sorry. Well, oh no, no, it's okay. I was just thinking about like we started planning this podcast like a year ago, around now. Which yeah. is weird. We've been almost doing this a full year. And we only have thirteen episodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's like over one a month. That's true. That's true. So no, there was a global crisis happening. I think we could give ourselves <laughs> yeah. a break. Yeah. yeah, we took like four months off. <laughs> Unexpectedly, <laughs> no announcement. But you know. I forgot it was even a thing for a couple months. <laughs> I just didn't know time was passing. I yeah. truly thought that we just recorded and uh, and then it was one of those things that I would suddenly remember. And <laughs> months later, turns out. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like days... Like, our weeks feel like days. Months feel like weeks. But, and at the same time, every single day feels like 10 years. So, yeah. 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 I was supposed to keep track of things. Yeah. You can't. But. Time, time feels really depressed. Yeah. How have you guys been staying grounded to reality? Who says we have? <laughs> <laughs> By watching weird movies. Oh, obviously. Good. Oh, what a good segue. Thank you. What have you been watching? Who are you talking to? You. <laughs> oh, me. Um, well, I have been watching a lot, but I, I will only share two. Uh, otherwise, this entire podcast will just be about movies, um, which it would be cool, but it's not what There's this is. There's plenty of other shows on the Cinepunks network yes. that talk about movies for like three hours at a time. Exactly. So, so um, well, so... Like last weekend, I did a double feature of two films that I'm pretty sure have nothing to do with each other, as far as I know, but I just watched them back to back. Um, and the first one was Fade to Black, um, which is on Shudder right now. Um, it's a 1980 psychological horror, and I think Wikipedia also classifies it as a comedy which I guess I could kind of see, but I don't know if I totally agree with that. Anyway, um, so it's directed by Vernon Zimmerman and starring Dennis Christopher, who I know as Eddie from the 1990 made-for-TV movie It. Um, Wait, Eddie, uh, like one of the kids? Yeah. I mean, I think it was the adult. Um, uh, adult uh, Eddie. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I have... I know Jake kind of half watched it. You were watching playing D no, um Faded Black. Yeah. As you were playing D and D. How could no. What are you talking? Oh no, that was the baby. Yeah, but I watched this before. I didn't know how much of this oh, you caught. I didn't it. catch that one. <clears throat> oh, okay. I have um, never heard of it. Oh, well, I think you should well, I think you'd like it, Melissa. Um, it's basically about this guy who's like really lonely cinephile like he's really um uh just 
obsessed with movies um and he he goes on a killing spree uh dressed up as like classic film characters so there's one scene where he dresses up as dracula (laughs) another one where he's the mummy (laughs) um and i liked it i thought it was really fun to watch uh but it also it kind of reminded me of like taxi driver and the joker had like those kind of vibes to it but anyway so i yeah i had fun watching it um and then after that (laughs) i watched a movie called the baby um from 1973 directed by ted post uh, about this social worker who takes on a case working with this kind of eccentric family um that consists of like it has one way to put it (laughs) um so it's like there's the mom there's three sisters and then there's quote unquote the baby uh who we quickly find out is a grown man Um, wait is this boss baby but (laughs) but like back in the (laughs) the 70s 70s. (laughs) live action boss baby (laughs) oh my gosh i just looked it up and then one of the taglines is what goes on in this nursery isn't for kids (laughs) That's absolutely right. And the thing is, so this movie, Jake did kind of watch without sound. Yeah, so I was playing D&D with some people and Anna Marie was watching the movie, but she had like headphones in. Um, And so I just saw things happening on the screen. And occasionally, occasionally I would turn the volume up for a few minutes just to like, understand what the hell was happening so i feel like i have a very like sort of scrambled view of what it is but at the same time i feel like i basically got the gist yeah you just missed like the very strange baby noises that this grown man was making that didn't quite sound like a baby it sounded more like a scared playful animal i don't know if you can't be scared and playful at the same time but (laughs) that's that's what it sounded like um interesting but yeah, those are two two highlights from wow. uh, my watch list. Well, thank you. I just added both those to my letterbox. I can't say I'm yeah. going to watch the baby, but definitely the other you one. Should. You right. should. <laughs> but watch it with someone else because it's a lonely ride mm. otherwise. Gotcha. Um, well, what about you, Melissa? What, what have you been watching? Um, well, actually, just last night, I watched with my family Death Becomes Her. But it's directed by Robert Zemeckis. Mm. Have you guys seen that before? No. Wait, what? Not. I mean, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. So it's basically, um, who's in it? Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, and Goldie Hawn are all the main characters. And uh, Meryl Streep is like this actress who is starting to get old and she's really self-conscious about that. But like science is failing her. And she has in the past like stolen the, the fiance of Goldie Hawn and they're both getting old. But then there's like a miraculous cure which makes them unable to age. And Bruce Willis is just like bumbling about and he is like, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a beautician for people who are dead to prepare them for funerals. So with them being these like undead, unable to die things who are like flaking and, and falling apart, he's their like makeup artist. It's really weird, but it's also really fun and super campy. Well, we'll have to watch that then, for sure. I I recommend it. Nice. I was just re-looking at my letterbox diary. 
<clears throat> and uh, I'll just go over three. One, well, no, I'll go over four. I rewatched Nightcrawler. Uh, yeah, we watched that together. Murray. That was it's so good. That movie's so good. Um, I wish that I had seen it in theaters when it came out because it's just so beautiful. Um, this is maybe like the third time I've seen it, and I just I love it. Um, watch the United the U.S. version of Funny Games, uh, which was basically like a similar premise to Knock Knock, but just sort of a different configuration. No Keanu Reeves. Yeah, it was fine. It, I will say it has one of my favorite opening credit scene, like title sequences that I've ever seen. Yeah. So. Uh, the music go, choices yeah. for that were just great. Yeah, hmm. it goes it goes from like Mozart to grindcore like really fast. Say, what's that one called again? <clears throat> uh, funny games. I will say it's a little, it's a little preachy. Uh-huh. I feel like I feel like it's a little like trying to deliver a meta message and and about media, and I generally don't like that. I think Cronenberg can do that sometimes, but I generally don't like that. Um, and I also watched the first ten minutes of Cats. And it made me so mad that I just turned it off. It was like the most uncomfortable 10 minutes that I've felt in a long time. Hmm. Like the thing is like, you can tell they put so much money and time and effort into the production of that thing. And like, it's not good is the problem. Like, and it's not like one of those cringy movies that's like funny to watch. It's just like not good. Here we are again, and I'm going to tell you something that you probably know a little bit about, maybe even a lot about, but I'm sure you're going to learn something a little new today, at least. Um, so what I'm going to, what my topic today what is- could it possibly be? It's vampires. Um, so- We already I, did vampires. We did, but we specifically talked about Mercy Brown. Okay. And so this one is more of like a Europe focus and an archaeology focus. So <laughs> my topic is vampires. Here are my sources really quickly. So obviously Wikipedia played a huge role. Thank you. National Geographic, two different articles, one by Heather Pringle and one by Becky Little. And then History.com article titled Vampire History. Britannica.com and something called godsandmonsters.com. So I first wanted to start by asking you guys, what do you guys even know about vampires? Why don't you go ahead? I'm going to ask you two to describe to me, when you think vampire, modern day, what do you think of? Modern day? Like, as we know a vampire today, what do you think of? I... I think of a high school in Seattle area. <laughs> uh, I think of a, mm-hmm. a, a sulky, uh, silky, sulky, silky, sparkly Robert Pattinson looking anti-hero that's really good at baseball that sparkles in the sun. I totally forgot about that baseball scene. That was so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? 
I think of um, being at the office, corporate office, sitting in my cubicle, nine to five. The world is your vampire. <laughs> the world. <laughs> yes, Billy Corgan. Um, I was thinking about energy vampires. Mm. Oh, that's what I thought you were saying. Yeah, that's what oh. I was going for. I was specifically thinking about, um, I was thinking about what we do in the shadows, the um, yes. TV theories with the energy vampire. I definitely think about a few like techniques that are really important for vampires. Like, for example, what? <laughs> Just techniques. It's okay. <laughs> Well, well, for example, um, you kill them with a wooden stake through the heart, mm-hmm. a la Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, they're kept away by garlic. They have to be invited inside. You, they can't be seen in a mirror. Those are kind of things that I think about. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. So you would never know if there were space vampires because all telescopes use mirrors. That's so scary and should be a movie. Oh my god! Oh my god. Yes. Okay, Jake. Uh, copyright that right now, um, or trademark, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, TM that. Um, yeah. So basically, ex- everything you said, and I think one thing I didn't think about is we actually have like new things with modern vampires that they're just like normal people going about their lives more so that's become a thing they're just normal teenagers who just like glow sometimes um but like stereotypically what we think about are like they're really pale they've got fangs they drink human blood using those fangs mirrors they can't be seen in them they react to like religious symbols like crucifixes um and they can be killed by a wooden stake Sometimes they turn into like little vampire bats and they fly around, that type of stuff. Can I um, interject with a very quick story? Do it. Of my the time you turn into a bat. Oh, I want to know. Oh, did you really? No. (laughs) Yes, I have something to tell you. Um, No, my first introduction to vampires um, when I was four years old, and my. Aunt was babysitting me, and um, she had like two teenage kids who were also over, and like they were babysitting me overnight. So like, they rented some movies from Blockbuster, and like I saw my like kid movies, and then they put me to bed. But I was afraid of the monsters in my bedroom and the creepy things that were in the dark. So I went out into the living room, and I was like, "Hey, I'm scared. Can I come out here?" and hang out with you guys and they're like sure we're just watching a movie and they were watching fucking dracula uh was it dracula 3000 um no 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 it was the francis ford it was it was bram stoker's uh dracula yeah that was it that came out like the 90s and dear god that movie scarred me for the rest of my life to the point where like I slept with the covers over my neck and like above my head. <laughs> I still do that, just a habit That's at this true. point. Yeah, <laughs> Jake knows. <laughs> I noticed Aww. that she always pulls the covers over her neck when she goes to sleep. I, I can't. Oh, she's protecting yeah. her neck from being yeah. bitten. I yeah. can't sleep. I can't sleep without them. And like at this point, it's not because I'm like still afraid of vampires, uh, but it just. Uh, I mean, I don't think so. Maybe deep down, 
Um, if you want to psychoanalyze me, we can do that later. I just love how you were like, I'm scared in my room. Can I come out and stay with you guys? And they're like, yeah, we're watching Francis. A scary Ford- thing. Uh, Dracula, come watch it with us. <laughs> no, like that was going to solve all of the problems. Um, but yeah, so that was like my first introduction to vampires and horror movies. And I think wow. that's why I'm so fucked up today. Thank you. Well, that sounds like a legitimate way to just be thrown in because I think that's the best way. And then you're just kind of scarred for a long time and you're trying mm-hmm. to figure it out. But yeah, I remember growing up like really being into vampires, not the Twilight one, because most, if not everyone I knew, thought Twilight was trash, but they wanted to watch it anyway. Not me. I didn't really want to watch it. That's but we- missing out. Um, I've seen it. I'm just saying it's trash. Um, (laughs) uh, but yeah i i really like vampires and one book that's really great if anyone out there has not read it is um and now i don't remember what it's called hold on it's stephen king oh what? i love that move that book and i read it in high school and i just absolutely loved it um it's about vampires it's really good so i highly recommend stephen king's salem's lot okay back on track so Yes, all those things that you described and much more. Uh, Scholars suspect that our modern concept of vampires evolved through a combination of various traditional beliefs held throughout Europe specifically, and they just kind of spread and all that. Um, And we'll kind of go over that in a little bit. Um, Vampires go out at night because of sunlight weakens or burns them. Some are known to have the ability to turn into animals, like a bat or a wolf, which I didn't know that was related to vampires. Yeah, and that comes up in some um, some specific areas that I'm going to tell you about in a little bit. But yeah, apparently just different types of animals and even like pests or insects too come up that they can turn into. So they tend to have extraordinary strength. They cast no shadows, similar to like what you'd expect for like any type of specter creature. Um, they can't be seen in a mirror. And as the mythology evolved, vampires became more noted for their hypnotic, sensual effects on their victims. Ooh, like sparkling. Yeah. Is this going to turn into a horny podcast? No. Okay, good. (laughs) But I will mention that I did take a class in college called Fantasy Literature, and we read a couple different vampire stories. um, And one of them was Carmilla and which is a vampire novel um and it really brings up like uh like being queer and being vampire and how like the penetration of the fangs is like a sexual act that's a and their relationship and that whole thing and i was like oh that blew my mind i didn't even realize that but yeah and that kind of that's something that does come up where like people who are considered vampires in some of these tales and i think i only bring up one of them like they come back to haunt their like widow or someone that they're related to and then that person is like assaulted by the the dead person and i think that's one thing that's like it's weirdly tied to like sex sometimes yeah i will say i i've read carmilla and that's it's a really good story um i did a lot yeah uh, that was Sheridan Lefanu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that. I right. have no clue. 
I think it might be. I can't remember. But anyway. Okay, so in the most vague terms, a vampire is a creature who survives by feeding on the, quote, vital essence of living beings. So vital essence is generally consumed in the form of blood, which made me jump to think about, like, Jesus. Yes. Mm. In Europe, oh, did you, were you about to say something, Jake? I was just going to say Christians are the original vampires drinking blood every Sunday. Whoa. In European folklore, vampires are undead, so they return from the dead to visit loved ones, often causing mischief, which I've never heard of a vampire. Like, the acts of a vampire being described as mischief, but that's what this the article I read described it as. Or even just mischief or death to their neighbors, or to the neighborhoods or villages where they once lived. Um, I don't think death and mischief are, like, hand in hand, but... Who knows? I mean, again, that baseball scene in Twilight. <laughs> I just feel like I just feel like mischief is such a broad category, and like when yeah. I hear about mischief, I think about like TPing somebody's yard, mm-hmm. not like killing them. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a big difference between those two things. Maybe, maybe, Probably. maybe. Um, So there are records of vampiric entities in most cultures, but we will specifically just be talking about the European vampire. The beliefs, the belief in vampires and similar creatures stem from a fear of the dead. This is my own speculation here. More specifically of the fear of the dead once buried, still being able to harm the living or maybe not being dead and kind of haunting their loved ones. Kind of like British... um, ghost story style okay moving on the the term vampire became popular in western europe in the early 18th century following mass hysteria surrounding the east the eastern european and balkan folk beliefs it was during this time that we started to hear reports of corpses being staked and people being accused of vampirism Okay, so I wanted to talk about a couple different variations because I thought that they were so interesting and so um, I don't want to say cute, but they're just so unique and like it just really speaks a lot to like how how uh, variable the different cultures are and how just interesting that is. Okay, so let's start. Let's start with Albania. So Albania's like vampiric entity is called the Striga, spelled S H T R I G A. It's a vampiric witch that sucks the blood of infants at night while they sleep, then turns into a flying insect such as a moth, a bee, or a fly. It is a woman with a hateful stare and a horribly disfigured disfigured face that lives in hidden places in the forest and has supernatural powers. She is not a she's not born a witch, but because becomes one because she is childless. And is made evil by envy of people who do have children. Mm. Thoughts. <laughs> Problems. That seems misogynistic. Oh, I I agree. I, <laughs> I also like a couple things that stood out to me on that is like that it could be like a moth, a bee, or a fly, which do can sting or bite. So I could see that that being like weirdly not mosquito, but like something that could still like bite you. And like hurt you, um, 
and even sometimes like with insects like disease is connected to insects so i thought that was kind of cool that that story has that the other half of it but i think is more of like a moral like don't you better not follow the path of that or you might turn into a striga and what you're going to be doing is haunting babies in their cribs and trying to bite them. Because all women just need to have babies and want babies. The longer longer you say a spinster, you become more and more at risk of becoming a vampire, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I thought was really gross about this one is um, she can cure those that she's started to drain the, their um, energy force from by spitting in their mouths. Um, <laughs> um, if not cured, victims inevitably get sick and die. Um, one good thing to know, this might help you guys though, is a strong belief in God can help, you ma- help make you immune to this creature. Uh, okay, so that's the Striga. Now we have the Greek Vrikolakos. Don't know if I'm Ricola? saying that right. Is that how you pronounce it? No, no, that's a, that's a type of uh, lozenge. <laughs> you said it with such conviction. I was like, oh, Anna Marie knows this. <laughs> I know my lozenges. What <laughs> okay, Vrikolakos, which is a harmful undead creature that eats flesh, particularly, specifically, just livers. Um, a person become one after death one of three ways, or four ways, there's four here. If they live a sacrilegious way of life, if they're buried in unconsecrated ground, if they're excommunicated from their church, if they ate the meat of a sheep that had been wounded by a wolf or a werewolf. So um, careful of those four are things. Are we still in Albania at this point? No, this is this is the Greek free oh, kolakas. Okay, edit that out. So it's these are really sounding like uh, stories to like reinforce uh, social norms. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Don't eat those wounded sheep. Don't don't eat them, especially if they've been infected with like werewolf saliva. Oh, I was talking about like being excommunicated. Oh. <laughs> That too. That too. Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> no, the sheep are the priority here. Yeah. Take care of your sheep. Um, so what this creature does is it crushes or suffocates its sleeping victims by sitting on their chest while they're sleeping. So like an incubus or it said like a Mara, but I'm not sure what a Mara is. Which brings us back to our Hatman episode. Yeah, and the sleep paralysis. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So are we let ready to talk about Romania? In order to talk about early vampires, you basically just have to talk about Romania. Okay, so in Romania, <laughs> you may have heard this one before, but vampires are called Stragoi. Have not heard that before. You haven't? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It's it's it comes up in a lot of like um what is that movie like? Uh, some weird Dracula movie and there's a Van Helsing movie where they call it, they call them Strigoi. So a Strigoi is a troubled spirit that has risen from the dead. It can transform into an animal, become invisible, and gain vitality from the blood of its victims. Similar to, and I think Bram Stoker is a Strigoi. So Bram Stoker's Dracula 
Is Bram Stoker was a writer. Yes, I meant to say I didn't finish what I was reading. Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula Strogoi. Okay, so here are the conditions under which a Strogoi can be born. They're going to be very similar to what we heard before, but there's some, some nice ones in here too. So be the seventh child of the same sex in a family. So if you're like the seventh boy to be born of your parents, you just become a Strogoi. Well, is it that you become one or are you at risk? of? They're just born to, as one. That's how it's, you're just born. I don't know why I find that so funny. <laughs> well, just be careful. If the parents have too many kids, that's a problem. Yeah. Can't let that happen. I guess not. If you lead a life of sin, if you die without being married, if you die by execution or perjury, if you die by suicide, if you die from a witch's curse... All of those are caused to become a Strigoi. I mean, it sounds like the seventh child kind of had is kind of screwed. I know. You know, like they didn't yeah. they didn't choose that. Yeah, they didn't choose to be born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like that one is just punishing the parents. Yeah. It's like yes. you've done something wrong. You've too, gone too far. Too horny. <laughs> too much well, horny. <laughs> okay, so there are manuals for how to get rid of strigoi. One needs to exhume the strigoi, remove its heart and cut it in two, which reminds me kind of of like Mercy Brown stuff, drive a nail into the forehead of the strigoi, place a garlic clove under its tongue, smear its body with the fat of a pig killed on St. Ignatius Day, and turn its body face down so that the, if the strigoi were to wake up, it would be headed to the afterlife. So it'd be like already down, facing down, just going to keep going. It's a good how-to. <laughs> yeah. Up. The steps, I think, it says like step, step five is smear the body with the fat of a pig killed on St. Ignatius Day. That seems like three steps in one sentence. But that's yeah. just me. No, it does. But it's like, you gotta do all that stuff in a short period of time. So, I get it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure where, like, the whole garlic thing came related to vampires. I didn't see that anywhere. Um, but it did get mentioned in this as a piece of, like, how to get rid of a strigoi is place a garlic, a clove of garlic under its tongue. I don't know if garlic was considered to be medicinal back then, and it was just another like medicinal like thing that could be done um yeah yeah. garlic has a lot of um like healing and medicinal uses intense herb yeah Mm. very intense um very much like an herb of um i want to say like purification i mean i know it's like definitely seen as an immune system booster Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways um all right, so those are the different variations I wanted to bring up before talking about some instances of vampirism and kind of what happened there and how it was dealt with by vigil- villagers. In 1656, Croatia, a peasant, Jur Grando, died. Local villagers claimed he returned from the dead and began drinking blood from the people in the village and sexually harassing his widow. The village leader ordered a stake to be driven through his heart, but when the method failed to kill him, he was subsequently beheaded, 
with better results. Better <laughs> results. Science. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Jergrando of Croatia. Um, all right. So now we are jumping to apparently between the 14th and 17th centuries, plagues repeatedly wreaked havoc in Europe and the Mediterranean. Millions of people died from the Black Death, and tuberculosis was spread by fleas carried by rats. So tuberculosis was running rampant. Um, when you got sick, everyone in your family would get sick, and soon entire towns would get be gone. Those especially vulnerable, like children and the elderly, did not stand a chance. Does any of this sound familiar to you guys? I'm so tired of these times. The world is a vampire. The world is a vampire. Uh, but the other thing I was thinking of was the tuberculosis part, which is a big part of the Mercy Brown uh, kind of story mm -hmm. and I wonder how much like vampire panic is tied to like anxiety of like contagion in some way you know or like anxiety of, over like purity purification mm -hmm. I don't know I, I think you're right I think there's a lot tied to it too and I think at, at this early people couldn't see they, they couldn't link it necessarily to contagion. So I think that's kind of why purity came into it a little bit and maybe religiousness as well, because they, they couldn't see an explanation and a connection. People would get sick so quickly and die so quickly that, I mean, you wouldn't be able to trace it. And, and obviously they didn't understand asymptomatic spreaders of diseases um, since that wasn't even... Well, to be fair, until... neither, do, neither do most people in the United States right now. Yeah, so. yeah. And that wasn't even considered a thing until we had uh, Typhoid Mary in, like, I don't even know what year that was, like the 1800s. What is Typhoid Mary? Oh, it's like a real case of uh, someone named, like, Mary Brown or Mary something, and she... It's probably not brown. I'm just saying brown because the other brown. But it's Mary something and she was asymptomatic spreader, but she also continued to be a chef in many people's homes and never washed her hands, refused to do so. And she was killing family after family and they kept linking it back to her. And it was this whole thing about like, she didn't believe them. She would change her name and live somewhere else. And then some, at some point she was like jailed to stop her from spreading. It's very interesting. Huh, that is really interesting. We should do an episode on that later. Definitely. All right. Wash your hands. Wash your hands, wear a mask. Something common that would happen is that a loved one would die from being sick and to stop disease from spreading, you need to bury your deceased right away and people didn't spend much time inspecting the bodies. You would have a funeral for that family member and it would start and then would start to move on with your life. So the funeral would happen very quickly and then you would start to move on. But soon other people close to that individual would start to die. Um, they would start just by getting weak, weaker and maybe even start to just seem a little bit sick and potentially die very suddenly. Um, and there wouldn't be a ton of explanation. And some of those individuals would even claim to see the ghost or the spirit of that same loved one, maybe the first infected person in that family who was not buried that long ago. Um, so maybe they're still emotionally dealing with the, the loss of a family member or loved one, and then now they're sick and feeling weaker physically as well. 
soon people would start to conclude that the common denominator was the person who was buried and gone. To investigate the matter, an inquiry would lead officials to dig up the previously deceased to investigate if they were actually dead, um, especially with the claims of potentially seeing a spirit or a ghost of that dead person. Upon exhumation of the body, though, the town folk would notice a few suspicious details. The body would look strange, flushed, and weirdly lifelike. Okay, this goes back into, like, Anna Marie, like, what she explained for her episode. Yeah, this sounds, like, very similar to what was happening in New England. So, the body may be in a different position than when it was originally buried. In fact, the limbs are relaxed and the joints bend easily, which is not what people are used to seeing. Typically, um right after death people would see the rigor mortis start to take effect and know that you know your joints would stiffen weeks and possibly months after burial the skin would still look intact and in some cases the deceased person's cheeks would look ruddy and lifelike it appears that the deceased's teeth and fingernails had grown as well their stomach looked distended and full as they just ate as if they just had eaten a large meal you could also see dark reddish blood-like liquid dribbling from the corners of their mouth and it would appear that the corpse overall with that whole image when you crack open that coffin you might be like ah they just had been drinking uh, a big giant meal of blood sucking on the blood of the living that seems that seems like the most rational explanation naturally yeah so, um, what you're the, I you're the skeptic and the scientist, Occam's razor it. Tell us what. Tell give us a give us a simpler, natural explanation. Um. Well, let's get into it. Um. So, <laughs> all this, from what my research shows, all of this stems from misunderstanding of the decomposition process and also how disease spreads, Those. just like you were talking about before. Um, what was mistaken for blood and actually just was actually just purge fluid and from decomposing organs kind of spilling out of the mouth, which also explains the distended stomach because there's gases bubbling. So the stomach would look enlarged, um, before the skin would be broken. So it would just be inflated and then the pressure would build and it would start to come up out of the mouth. Bodies are so weird. Yeah, it is pretty nasty. Okay. And, yeah, that is gross, though. Uh, Rigor mortis, which is um, the stiffening of joints and muscles of a body, sets in a few hours after death. Because burials would happen so quickly at this time, um, bodies were typically buried with active rigor mortis, so they wouldn't see what would happen after. Um, However, this usually only lasts between one to four days. So after the four days, then... um, What would happen is the body would be exhumed and the limbs would be relaxed, making it seem like that person could have easily just been running around. You know, they're all limber and, you know, they're able to to move their joints around. Um, So just like you were asking, Anna Marie, the, the temperature of the burial site plays an important role in slowing down the decomposition process. Um, So that cold hole in the ground where the body was pulled out, would delay the decomposition, preserving the body. So just the fact that it's underground preserved the body. And 
And humans could observe what would happen with a body, like, if it was laying out in the street or, like, in the sun or whatever it may be, you would see it happen very quickly. But then, I mean, who back in those days is deciding, other than maybe the uh, Dr. Frankenstein, to, like, pull out corpses that have already been buried and see what happens and how they're decomposing that way. So they just didn't have that information. So that would lead the skin to look intact longer, which is not what people expected to see months after death. So the other piece of that is the suspected teeth and fingernail growth was just an illusion. The skin's body just shrinks back, making nails look longer, and gums shrink back, making teeth look longer. Hence, Mm -hmm. the fangs. Oh, interesting. Nice. I know, it's like a puzzle coming together. Man, science can explain everything. I'm going to yeah. stop sleeping with those covers over my neck. I don't need them anymore. You, you don't. Yeah, all you need science. Um, what we now know to be the natural decomposition process terrified people centuries ago. Drastic measures were taken to stop undead specters from continuing to drain the life of those close to the deceased. Archaeological discoveries show that some very, very drastic steps were taken to stop vampires from continuing to prey on these communities. Um, One instance is that in 2006, archaeologists unearthed a 16th century skull in Venice, Italy. The skull had been buried with a brick in its mouth, a tactic likely used for preventing strega, which are Italian vampires or witches, from leaving their grave to eat people. In 1679, a Protestant theologian wrote an article titled, quote, On the Chewing Dead. (laughs) That's amazing. What what theologian is that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Melissa. I can look back in my notes for you. I I can find it. Um, Well, if you just look up On the Chewing Dead, it's an article about the Nasdecher. Nasdecher. Hold on. Let me cut that. Nachziehe. It's a German word for after devourers who appear to be chewing on their burial shrouds. But that also had to do with the shifting of the body and the, like the goo coming out of their mouths, getting onto their burial shrouds, making it look like they were eating it. So in this article, the theologian accused the Nachziehe of harming surviving family members through occult processes, he claimed that the Nachziche could be stopped by exhuming the body and stuffing its mouth with soil and maybe a stone and a coin just for good measure. So this, a coin, which is so interesting, um, this would make it so that the corpse could no longer chew and it would kill it by starvation. (laughs) That's so strange yeah i'm reading the document right now who is it by it's by this guy named philip rohr r-o-h-r oh anyway okay all right back to greece a corpse in the night from 19th century greece was unearthed in the early 1990s or just as the 1990s i don't want to claim early because i don't know Um, By archaeologist Hector Williams, the body had been staked into the ground with several eight-inch long spikes through the neck, pelvis, and ankles. 
His coffin was exceptionally heavy compared to the sheets, the mere sheets used to wrap the other bodies in the same cemetery. So his coffin itself was extraordinarily like heavy and made out of denser material. And the body had definitely been like manipulated and um, staked through. Um, and the quote from this archaeologist is that clearly someone did not want this corpse to escape the grave. Another archaeological finding on the Italian island of Lazaretto Nuovo revealed what forensic anthropologist Matteo Borino suspected to be a vampire burial. The body was that of an elderly woman with a brick in her mouth, which is known and documented form of vampire exorcism practice. And then finally, just a little quick one from Poland, um, an excavated vampire grave showed a skeleton with the body's head removed and placed between its legs. And that's all I've got <laughs> about vampires. Very nice. Man. Yeah, I find those, like, um, I've done, like, very little research on, like, just, um, like, archaeological findings, like you are just describing, Melissa. And it's so interesting to, like, like, I wonder what, people's thoughts were when they discovered like a body with like a brick in its mouth like for the first time right and or, like without knowing <laughs> those practices or like with the head between its legs uh <laughs> like that would just feel i don't know i would be very confused i think it would be so eerie like you're excavating yeah. other like burial grounds and you're seeing what you expect and then this one it's totally different from the rest and it just feels like cursed because of like the way it was treated. I would feel very, I don't know, on edge that I, I don't, wouldn't, I would, I don't know, maybe a superstitious feeling. You wouldn't want to like mess up the grave and I don't know, but yeah, that would, would be expect- so surprising. Yeah. I would expect to die that night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But whenever like, anything slightly creepy happens to you you expect to die that's true true. (laughs) probably from watching probably because you watch dracula too young (laughs) well i thought that would be kind of uh relevant just because of like the disease factor and yeah i think that's it i didn't even like put that together until after i read my notes here (laughs) that uh it's kind of relevant That was nice. interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing. I feel like it helps um, round out the Mercy Brown story a little bit to kind of yeah. know what was happening in Europe. Um, I guess it would be prior to that, probably prior and like simultaneously. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that all these different cultures have a vampire too. So the fact that it made its way over to America in some sh- form is yeah. not surprising. Right. Well, thanks, Melissa. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We are part of the Cinepunks Podcasting Network. You can find more about Cinepunks and all sorts of information about the articles and other podcasts on the network by going to cinepunks.com that's c-i-n-e-p-u-n-x.com 
You can also find us on Instagram at Weird Obscure Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at Weird Obscure Pod. And you can send us your personal scary stories of the weird, of the obscure, of the possibly unsafe. Uh, send them to weirdobscurepodcast at gmail.com and maybe it'll end up on the next listener episode. We did one for we did one for Halloween. Maybe we can get one for Christmas if enough people send one in. <gasps> yes. I wanna that would be amazing if we did like a, a British ghost story. This is the second time I'm mentioning <laughs> it in this episode, but I love a good British ghost story. Excellent. If they were ghost stories, yeah. Christmas Krampus. British Christmas ghost story. Krampus stories. Krampus stories. Um, but seriously, send anything in and, you know, uh, it might end up on the show. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.